Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Happy Christmas. It is the Box Hard Podcast, episode 219, a.k.a. the Christmas Special. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by the festive feeling, the little boxing elf himself, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you? Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, you filthy animal. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Very good, my friend. Very good, as always. But, um, yeah, this, this show is probably not going to feel too Christmassy because... Usually, in 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 previous years when we've done the Christmas special show, there has been you know um, not much boxing really circling the 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 twenty fifth of December. You know, so this this year is a bit different. Obviously, there's fights to review, there's fights to preview, so it is going to feel a little bit normal. But one thing I will say. I always try to deliver, or we always try to deliver on Christmas in terms of what we do on the podcast. We try to get, um, you know, a few random guests together. I mean, the first episode that we did, the first ever Christmas um, episode that we did, I think we had four guests, if I remember correctly. Um, it was Christmas of 2015. We had Lee Selby, Andrew Selby, Eric Molina, and Charles Martin. So that was a bit of a mashup there. Um, four different guys on the show. I think after that we had Nonito Donaire, Tom Loeffler, and someone else on for another Christmas. Um, anyway, I'm getting a bit confused. Spencer Fearon came on for one Christmas. Um, but this one is, is going to be pretty simple. Just one guest on this week's show. And the reason behind that is because I didn't want the show to go on for too, too, too long. Um, um, you know, there's a couple of interviews I've got in the pipeline, so it's just going to be the one interview this week, but it's going to be very in-depth. So, um, yeah, one very in-depth interview this week and one very in-depth interview next week to look forward to. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting, this this week's guest and next week's guest, the uh, the unofficial New Year's Eve kind of, uh, or New Year pod that we're going to do next week. Again, we never take a week off, doesn't matter what time of the year it is. But let's start, though, with the review part of the show. We're going to start here last Thursday. Thursday, um, obviously the podcast went out and this 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 Bethnal Green show, um, you know, took place a couple of hours after. So yeah, York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. Let's start with the undercard over here. Um, I'm going to start with Craig Richards, actually. He managed to get a draw over eight rounds against Chad Sugden. Um, Chad Sugden, in the post-fight interview, said he had one week to prepare, I think it was, for Craig Richards. The the thing that, that, that he said there that can mislead you a little bit is... He was scheduled to fight, I think it was on the Saturday of that week anyway. So he was in camp, he was expecting to fight on the Saturday. He he got a change of opponent, basically, a change of a fight date. They brought it forward two days earlier, and he fought Craig Richards, who, again, he wasn't prepared for, but Craig Richards, um, when I spoke to him a few weeks ago, he was looking at fighting in 2020, I think maybe in January or February or, or, or something like that. So, yeah, he, he certainly didn't think he'd be in the ring only about 10 days um, after I spoke to him, so 
not taking that away from Sug, um, Sugden, I think his name is. I'm really making a, a mess of his name. But yeah, you know, credit to Chad Sugden. Very, very tough guy. And he was unbelievable. I don't think Craig Richards deserved um, to not get the win. I feel like he definitely did enough to get the win. But it was a draw. And um, yeah, Sugden won't forget that one. Um, I quite liked his, his post-fight interview. And um, yeah, very unlucky there for Craig Richards. It almost kind of makes you think, wow, like he's got a Shakam Pitters fight on the horizon and he puts in a performance like that. He's a friend of mine, but that was not, um, you know, not good enough, really. That, 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 that was not a good performance, you know. He looked a little bit fragile in there. He got caught a lot and um, he won't be pleased. I know he won't be pleased. Um, did you happen to see any of this card, by the way, Ayaz, before I fly through the rest? Unfortunately, I didn't. Okay, I'm sure you were out uh, hitting the hitting the stores, getting the uh, the Christmas shopping underway. But yeah, let's let's move on then. Let's go to the other fights on the card. Um, Shannon Courtney, she's now five and zero. Oh. A TKO for her in the fifth round against Bushra El Kwasi. Um, El Kwasi was undefeated, two and zero with two draws. El Kwasi was down in the fourth round and again in the fifth. Like I say, so a good win there for Shannon Courtenay. Um, Kieran Conway managed to pick up a points win over ten rounds against Craig O'Brien. I think that was a late replacement, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't think it was actually. Um, so yeah, I didn't actually see the fight, if I'm being honest. But shout out there to Kieran Conway now, fourteen and one with a draw. Lufa Clay got a win over. Freddie Kiewit, that was a good fight by the way, all three judges saw it exactly the same, 97-93, that's seven rounds to three in favour there of Lufa Clay of Bracknell, um, he's now 13-1, and one. that one was for the WBO Global Welterweight title. Um, moving up the card, Richard Riakpour, 10-0, he took on Jack Massey, 16-0, it was for the vacant British Cruiserweight title, Jack Massey saw himself on the canvas in the 10th round, um, yeah, that was a brilliant, brilliant fight, by the way, um, I felt like Richard Riakpour's gas tank, um, emptied out pretty quickly, I guess, um, especially approaching the later rounds and stuff, the midway point and onwards, he was persistently holding, the referee didn't take a point, um, Jack Massey did end up getting dropped in the 10th round, but when we looked at the replay, I don't think it even should have been a knockdown, and that played a part on the scorecard, you know, um, Michael Alexander, 115-113, exactly the same there from Howard Foster, but Robert Williams, or they call him Bob Williams, don't they, 117-111, that's six points there, for Riakpour, absolutely disgraceful refereeing, um, that is, oh, sorry, judging, that is one of the worst scorecards I've seen all year, so um, thanks for that one, Bob Williams, absolute joke of a card, Jack Massey, a lot of people felt like he may have just done enough, I felt like he probably earned a draw, hopefully we see the rematch though, because um, yeah, I don't want him to just fall off off the radar kind of thing and, and be the forgotten man, Um Moving out now, though, to the Talking Stick Resort Arena in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. Uh, let's start with the undercard over here. We had Josh Kelly move to 10-0 with a draw. Um, a unanimous decision for him over 10 rounds against Winston Campos, 31-6 with six draws. Now 31-7 with six draws. Winston Campos, a tough, tough guy. Um, obviously, we know he's been in there with the likes of Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor made easy work of him, stopped him, and I think... Uh, two or three rounds, something like that. 
Josh Kelly, obviously not yet on that kind of level with Josh Taylor. Obviously, Taylor's probably the best fighter at 140 in the world. Josh Kelly, you know, not not quite up there just yet in terms of that kind of scene. But um, I, I still expected him to look good against Campos and to probably get him out of there in about the mid-rounds, something like that. But it wasn't to be. Like I said, went the distance. Um, you know, Josh Kelly picked his shots nicely throughout the night. Um, he, he did get cut, I think it was in the very first round, and I think he was also down in the first round, but it was, you know, it was, it was because he was off balance, it wasn't considered an, a knockdown by the referee, um, but yeah, you know, he, he, he was decent, Josh Kelly, you know, um, again, his shot, his shot selection was really good, he, he, he was backing Campos up throughout the fight, and whenever he tried to kind of draw him in, and he did that a lot, Josh Kelly, he'd kind of back off of his man and try and walk him onto a shot. Um, Campos never fell for it. He never fell for any traps. He, he um, you know, he'd back up as well, actually. So it was a difficult kind of opponent. Um, I, I want to I kind of say that he came to survive, if anything, there against Josh Kelly. Um, obviously, we saw the flashiness that we always see, the, the, you know, the gamesmanship that comes with a Josh Kelly fight. He's always exciting to watch. But it was another good win for him, in my opinion. Not going not gonna to knock him, really, at all. I see a lot of people are. Um, Danny Aryalusinov, now 9-0, a TKO for him in five rounds against Alan Sanchez, now 20-5 with a draw. Um, Gabe Rosado picked up a win, he's now 25-12 with a draw. Um, very wide on the cards against Humberto Ochoa, who's now 33-9 with two draws. Liam Smith picked up win number 29, he's got two draws and a, uh, sorry, two losses in a draw. A very wide win for him over points against Roberto Garcia, obviously former opponent of Martin Murray, now 42-5. Um, Robert Garcia, tough, tough guy. I expected Smith to go the distance with him, and that is what happened. But again, I don't feel like um, it was... A brilliant fight for Smith, you know. I just I don't know about Robert Roberto Garcia, you know. Beating him, it doesn't really tell you much. He's got a real inflated record. He is a tough guy, like I say. And Smith Smith goes ten rounds, you know. And I just don't know what we've learnt really from that fight. I don't really see the point in in, in fight, fights like that for guys like Liam Smith, who I always felt was a you know a level above at least of um, of Roberto Garcia. Also on the bill, Maurice Hooker. He picked up a win against Uriel Perez. Um, Sky Bet were doing some crazy bet boost if um, Maurice Hooker knocked him out in the first four rounds or something like that. When I looked at Perez's record, he's been knocked out in the first round a couple of times. And Maurice Hooker did it, you know, once again. Stopped him in the first round. Now 27-1 and with three draws, Maurice Hooker. That was his return fight from losing to Jose Ramirez. Um... Yeah, Uriel Perez, you know, he's never boxed anyone of Maurice Hooker's calibre. Maurice Hooker can bang, he's got those freakishly long arms. And I thought like, I felt like, I keep saying I thought like, for some reason, I felt like um, the sky bet, bet boost for Hooker to knock him out within four rounds was practically printing money, really. So I, I lumped a bit on that. And the main event, Daniel Jacobs, now 36-3. and three. A very strange one, I as Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., Actually quit on his stall after five rounds. He didn't want to come out for round six at all. He's now 51-4 and four with a draw. Obviously, we know he missed the weight. But, um, yeah, shocking scenes there in Arizona. Talk to me. Um, I mean, well done to Daddy Jacobs for winning the fight. Um, Chavez Jr. is really disappointing me for retiring in his stall in the fifth round. I mean, he's a Mexico. He should have been 
Uh, he, he's meant to, he should be living up to his father's expectation. You can see by the crowd when, when his father, uh, when they pan the camera on his father's face, and his father just like nodded no way and put his hand on his face. I mean, uh, Danny Jacobs hit him with a D- Danny Jacobs smack, um, hit him on his nose and busted his nose up, and he said that he couldn't breathe. But I mean, if you're a fighter, yeah, you should be carrying on. You're, uh, you should you should be carrying on. And for something like that, yeah, it was uh, that's it's a it's a joke like what he did. But well done to Danny Jacobs for him. No, I think he needs to. I think he should have a title fight, and I think he should be against. I think he should fight Callum Smith. I think that'd be a very good fight. Yeah, I think Callum Smith would be all wrong for him, but yeah, I definitely welcome the fight, especially if he's looking at staying at one sixty-eight. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a crazy ending, you know. Um, I felt like Chavez actually started the fight really well. He was very aggressive. He was on the front foot for every second of the first two rounds. Um, I feel like Jacobs did come back into it a little bit during round kind of three and four. It it was just kind of starting to heat up. And then, yeah, Chavez, I even felt, had a decent round in the fifth and final round. But then he pulls out, citing what I thought originally was a hand injury. Um, You mentioned he had the bloody nose. It all just happened so quickly. And he he didn't want to carry on. He did a no mass. And he left the ring. You know, people were throwing beers over him. Um, it was just a crazy end to a fight where he was arguably winning it, in my in my honest opinion. I couldn't understand what happened. But I've since heard that um, I think he, he fractured his hand or something like that. I'm not quite sure what's gone on. But very, very bizarre for a fight to win like that. I almost forgot the, uh, the flyweight. Um, fight on the bill as well. Can't believe I almost forgot that. It was a great fight actually between Rosales and Martinez obviously that being two former opponents of Charlie Edwards Um, Christopher Rosales good fighter. You know I I did say that I feel like he'd pose a few um, a few questions really against Martinez who's very small, stocky got hammer fists and um, the second round in particular was a sensational round. It was something new for Martinez, you know. Again, like I say, he boxed Edwards. He boxed um, Andrew Selby and he stopped them. But they're not boxers, you know. Oh, sorry, they're boxers. They're not sluggers, you know. So um, they're not really known for their punching power. Rosales, as we know, he's huge for flyweight. He can bang and he's tough as old boots. He'd never been stopped. He was able to buckle the legs of Martinez in the second round. That was because Rosales threw... Um, for a for a right hook, I think it was, and he showed a brilliant chin, Rosales, and so did Martinez. Like I say, the questions were answered. He's got a rock solid chin as well. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a brilliant fight. Like I say, pretty much from the first bell, both men went at it. Um, neither man really took a, a backward step. They met in the middle of the ring and they slugged it out really for a lot of those early rounds. Um, what I will say is I was real impressed with Martinez in the later rounds because he didn't really seem to slow down. Um, I felt like the stoppage was a little bit premature, but I think Martinez really did have the fight in the bag regardless. And it's a big statement because he there becomes the first man to stop Rosales. So um, credit to him. Credit to him for sure. And uh, he, he now becomes the champion. He's now the vacant... Well, he's now the champion of the WBC at flyweight. It was obviously vacant, a title that he perhaps should have picked up against Charlie Edwards first time round. Perhaps not actually um, thinking about what happened. It was quite quite weird. And then obviously pop in for the... Uh, for the uh, for the banned substance, but it is what it is. Let's leave it there. Let's now go to the entertainment centre in Hurstville, New South Wales, Australia. Um, friend of the show, former world champion Billy Dib, he was able to beat quite 
quite wide actually. The undefeated prospect Van Tran, who was 12 and 0 going in, um, two judges had it nine rounds to one in favour of Dib. The other judge had it eight rounds to two in favour of Dib. So unanimous there for Billy Dib. Very pleased um, about that for him. Moving out now to the cruise terminal Altona in Hamburg, Germany. One fight to, to mention over here. Jürgen Bremer against Jürgen Doberstein. Jürgen Bremer now 52-3. and three, A KO for him in round 7. That one was for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Super Middleweight title. Um, Doberstein, like I say, I didn't think he'd really be on the level of Bremer. Bremer certainly getting up there in age, but still a good fighter to a certain level, you know, Doberstein now 25 and 4 with a draw, uh, moving out now to Russia, this this was quite interesting, a fight that I said on last week's show would be a, a you know, a good fight, Denis Lebedev, um, now 32 and 3, he lost actually to Tabiso Machunu, a guy that of course beat Eddie Chambers once upon a time when Eddie made the move down to cruiserweight, very, very wide on the cards for Machunu, Lebedev had a point deducted in round 3 for a for a headbutt, I believe. It was for the vacant WBC Silver Cruiserweight title. And like I say, Machunu, the South African, has gone over there and um, and won very wide in Russia. So he would have upset a lot of Russians there just before Christmas. He's got some balls to go and do that, to be honest. But I like Machunu. He'll fight anyone anywhere. And um, it is probably the win that his career needed, you know, because since that Eddie Chambers win, it's been a little bit up and down for him. Um you know, he got the shot against, I think he he had the fight against Usyk, didn't he? Um, obviously lost that one. He had the fight against Makabu. I remember him getting stopped there. And like I say, since then, it's been a little bit up and down. And um, pleased for him. He gets a good win there. A win that, like I say, his career needed. Also on that undercard, a real shocker. A real, real shocker. Dmitry Kudryashov, the Russian hammer. He went in the distance for the first time in his career. That was his 27th fight. And the first time he's ever gone the distance, obviously his record beforehand was 23 and 3. All fights ended by KO. But um, this time he went the distance. It was a split decision over 10 rounds in favour of the Russian. Um, he took on Vaclav Pejar, who is from the Czech Republic. And the thing about Pejar, he's been stopped before a couple of times. He was stopped by Sergei Kuzmin. Um, in two rounds back in 2017, and David Price, big David Price, stopped him in two rounds back in 2016, so I certainly expected Kudryashov to get him out of there, he did have him down in round four, but no, um, the, the, the Czechoslovakian got up off the deck and managed to see the, the fight out and actually reach the final bell, so that was quite amazing there. Moving out now though to the Copper Box Arena, I was there for this one in London, United Kingdom. Um, starting with the main event, I'll come to you. Daniel Dubois, 14-0 and now. A knockout for him in two rounds. He didn't really find Kayataro Fujimoto to be too troubling, to be honest. And he just dealt with him very easily. Dispatched of him like he should do, you know, uh, to, to fighters of this level. Fujimoto now 21-2. and And it was a bad knockout, a brutal knockout. What a knockout. It's like literally he was jabbing and jabbing and jabbing him. And then obviously hitting him to the body and then... Bam, the right hand came out of nowhere, smacked him across the face. It was like, that knockout, for me, I have to say, yeah, after seeing all the knockouts of the year, for me, I think this is knockout, it has to be knockout of the year. Daniel Dubois v. Fujimoto. Why? It reminded me a bit of the Dominic Brazil knockout, but Dominic Brazil walked into it, he just went bang, right out of nowhere, yeah, and caught him, and he's like literally on the floor. But Daniel Dubois, yeah, he's rising up slowly. 
Uh, obviously, um, he says he's knocked out Fujimoto. He's, he's, got, he's only had one draw, which is against Kevin, jo- Kevin, Kevin Kingpin and Johnson. But Daniel Dubois is still young and he's still growing and he's still getting better and better and better. And for me, and I think he's going to be a future world champion, the way he's going. Yeah, um, obviously, he didn't draw with Kevin Johnson, didn't he? He went the distance, and that's the only time he's ever been the distance. I know that's what you meant. But, um, yeah, Dubois, I know that you've been a you know a big admirer of his for a long, long time. You've always spoke highly about him. Um, talking of the knockout of the year kind of stuff, we're going to do that on next week's show, so get your thinking cap on eyes. We're going to be talking about the knockout of the year. We're going to be talking about the fighter of the year, the fight of the year, and probably the upset of the year, which I think a lot of people are going to be able to guess. Um, or perhaps not. So, uh, if you're listening and you haven't already sent your your um, your answers to those four questions to us already, then get at us on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast. But yeah, a routine win for Dubois. It's not the opponents that we really want to see him in with. Um, Fujimoto was down initially from a jab. That was the first knockdown, and then yeah, like like we say, down and out in the in the final knockdown. Both men threw a right hook. Dubois got there first, and that was simply all she wrote. Um, yeah, I want to see a big twenty twenty for him. Really, I know that um, Joe Joyce. Obviously, we're probably going to mention it in the news part of the show, but I'm just going to say it now. Joe Joyce's fight with Marco Huck is now off because Huck injured his hand. I believe it is in training, so that one's off. Tyson Fury said, "Why don't Dubois and Joyce get it on?" And Dubois responded straight away and said, "I'm up." For it so hopefully we do see bigger fights for him in 2020 but i doubt it's going to be joyce in his first fight of 2020 so we'll we'll see but um that fight there was for the wbc silver heavyweight title which was vacant and of course the wbo international heavyweight title so dubois will be rising up those rankings also on the bill liam williams now 22 and 2 with one draw a tko for him against friend of the show alontes fox now 26 and 2 with a draw that one was for the vacant wbo intercontinental middleweight title fox was down in the fourth round and he was down again in the fifth round obviously where the fight got called off. He also had a point deducted for holding as well. Um, yeah, a, a brilliant performance from Williams. I'm just going to quickly run through the fight. Round one, it seemed to me like Fox's timing just looked a little bit off. He was struggling to keep Williams off of him as well. The pressure from Williams was just overwhelming for Fox. Um, Fox's jab was nice when he used it, but again, Williams was just able to get under it many, many times, um, you know, or, or get around it, make the angles work for him. Williams landed some really big hooks when he got on the inside again, so it's a bad start there for, for, for Fox. Round two, a little bit better from Fox, but Williams still won the round. Alantes Fox just wasn't able, like I say, to keep um, Liam Williams at bay. There wasn't enough snap in his jabs, and the strength of Williams was a real telling factor. Round three, another round where I felt Fox was improving slowly, but still he was getting nailed, and the shots looked like big ones from where I was sitting. The chin was being checked of Fox, and Fox would do some really nice moves here and there, where he'd throw some lovely jabs and he'd slip everything that Williams threw, but then he'd get nailed right after with a big right hand, and it would just undo his good work. I was struggling to to really give Fox anything at that stage, and then of course in the fourth round, like I say, down went Fox. Um, He was down by 
I think it was a straight one-two right down the pipe, followed by a couple of shots while he was on his way down. He was starting to take a bit of a beating, and then in that fifth and final round, like I say, he had the point deducted, Fox, for holding. And after that, I think he realized it was getting to the point in the fight where he's going to need a knockout. And he took a few more risks, and he just kept getting caught. And for me, it was a good stoppage. I didn't want to see any more of it. Fox was too brave for his own good. Um, he, he's got a brave corner as well. Obviously, his father, Trey Fox, trains him. He didn't think for one, one second, I don't think about throwing that towel in, and I was guided for for Fox. He's a good, he's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. But you know, take nothing away from Williams. He's he's also been on the show a bunch of times. He he blocked me on WhatsApp, so I'm not in his good books. But I still like him. Massive statement from Williams, and he of course does something there that Demetrius Andrade couldn't do. Um, definitely show me the odds for him to become a future world champion. It to me looks like printing your money out right then and there on the spot. Um, Sonny Edwards managed to pick up a win, now 14-0. and 0. He's also now the new British super flyweight title. He'll be very pleased. His Christmas, I'm sure, has been made there. Um, I also seen comparisons on Twitter by certain boxing accounts. They're, they're, uh, they're comparing him already to the likes of Lomachenko, so he'll be very pleased with that. Um, Sonny Edwards was down, though, in round seven. He was cut above his right eye in the ninth round. Credit to Marcel Braithwaite. I called it out on last week's show. Decent fighter, good fighter. Seemed like he could punch. Seemed like, you know, he had quite a bit of, of, of speed about him as well. But he hadn't beaten anyone with a winning record going into this one. And, you know, looking back at the scorecards, quite a wide one there for Sonny Edwards, who actually went into the fight with smashed up hands. And his hands looked awful when he took a picture afterwards. Um, really, really sore his hands looked. I'm sure he'll be resting up and resting good over the festive period with a bit of turkey in his system. Um, Archie Sharp managed to... To, uh, to to be the very last fight on the bill. So I'm not even sure if they showed it on TV, but if they did, and, and you haven't already seen it, go and watch that one back. He took on a relatively unknown Art Joms Ramlavs from Latvia, 11-0 with six KOs going in. So he was undefeated, and he fought with a lot of pride. I've got to say, he didn't take a backward step. It was, of course, for Sharp's WBO European Super Featherweight title. Ramlavs was down in the sixth round, and he had a point deducted. Um, in round eight for hitting Sharp in the back of the head, but it was a real rough and tough fight for Archie Sharp. Now 18-0, and 0, a unanimous decision for him over 10, but um, Ramlaz was just a tough, tough guy. Kept coming forward. Um, Archie wasn't really boxing to his best. We've seen him the way he can box a brawler. You know, he can box and keep it long and basically dance all night and look really good and not get involved in a tear-up. But too many times Archie would, um, you know, just be happy and willing to trade and, you know, make make it a very tough night's work for him. And that's what it was. You know, his face was quite badly beaten up. His nose was bloody after the fight. But um, credit to Ramlavs, you know, he, he turned up and he gave it he gave it his all, he really did. I'd like to see him back, actually, on these shores, perhaps against a, a Leon Woodstock or something like that. That would be complete fireworks there. Um, definitely, I'd like to see him back. But Archie Sharp remains undefeated. Now number four with the WBO in their world rankings. Um, Tommy Fury, of course, was also on the bill. Now 3-0, and a knockout for him in the very first round against um, Prism Slaw Binienda, who's now 2-27. and 27. A KO for Fury in the first round, like I say. Very, very quick. I think it took about a minute and five seconds or something for him to dispatch of his opponent. I think he was down twice 
or, or it could have even been three times. He, he didn't even throw a punch, actually. Very, very poor there from him. Um, moving out now to the Toyota Arena in Ontario, California, USA. This is the final card to mention, I believe. Um, there may be one more, actually. Um, yeah, Tony Harrison. He was he was actually dethroned. He he lost the rematch against Jamel Charlo. Um, I don't think we went to the predictions, but all along I felt like I felt like Jamel Charlo would get the win. I felt like it'd probably be on points, but no, he was able to get him out of there. Like I say, round eleven. Jamel Charlo now thirty three and one. He writes the wrong. Tony Harrison now twenty eight and three. Charlo was cut. Um, in, in round two, it was a headbutt. I think it was his eye that was cut, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Harrison, again, he was down in round two and then twice in round 11. But he boxed really well, Tony Harrison. Looking at it on paper, it doesn't really tell the story of the fight. Um, two judges had Jamel Charlo up by three points in that 11th round. So, obviously, Tony Harrison was going to get screwed on the scorecards anyway. So, yeah. You know, the other judge had him up by one point, so uh, he would have needed a knockout, Tony Harrison. And I wasn't strictly scoring it. I was watching it with my brother-in-law, and um, I, I I wasn't really strictly scoring it. But the rounds that I did score, I didn't score round one. The round two, obviously, was a 10-8 round for Charlo. Um, I think it was a left hook that put Tony Harrison down. Round three, great response from Harrison. He definitely won the round, and he started to take over at that point, you know. After the rocky start, um, round four was a brilliant round. Both men were having big moments. Harrison, you know, started forming a pattern really of of, of starting off the rounds quite slow, letting letting Charlo have a bit of success, but then finishing really strong. So that fourth round for me was a brilliant round. It seemed like it was a real tactical affair early on there. Um, a wide variety of shots from both men landed upstairs and downstairs. A real chess match, like I say. Charlo might have won that fourth round though. Round Round five for me was a Harrison round. Round six for me was a Harrison round. Again, his defense was excellent, Tony Harrison. Perhaps doesn't really get the credit for having a great defense. Every now and then he'd land a peach of an uppercut as well in that sixth. But, um, yeah, I, I was even through the first six rounds there just watching it and, and not strictly scoring it. I felt like we could be on to a, a potential fight of the year contender, you know, a late addition. Again, round seven and eight, I didn't, I didn't score. Round nine, I felt like Harrison won the round. His jab was excellent in that round. Round 10, Charlo won the round. Um, again, his jab was excellent in this one. And um, he, he, he didn't really use his jab in the earlier rounds, you know, he didn't really try and set his shots up, he was trying to land power shots time and time again, and his jab was great in round 10, and um, yeah, obviously in that 11th round, there was the second knockdown, and Jack Reese questionably let him continue, and then, you know, Harrison got backed up onto the ropes, and Charlo was trying to pour on the pressure, and to be honest, nothing really landed clean, and dare I say it, I felt like... Jack Reese might have just waved it off a tiny bit prematurely because, in my opinion, it wasn't the right time to stop it. He should have stopped it after that second knockdown if he wanted to stop it. He shouldn't have let Harrison carry on and um, and not really give him a chance because, like I say, he was on the ropes. He knew where he was and he was evading the shots that Charlo was pouring in. So, a bit of a bad stoppage there, in my opinion, from Jack Reese. I'm being a little bit critical there. Um, also on the undercard, we saw Jack Tapora lose his O. A bit of a shock there. 23 and O, he was going in, he got stopped in the first round against Oscar Escandon, now 26-5, and five. Um, it was a body shot, 
Um, is there anything else on that card to mention? Yes, actually. Um, Andre Durrell picked up win number 27. He's got three losses inside 30 fights. A KO for him in five rounds against Juan Cabrera. Cabrera was down in the third round and the fifth round. He was stopped on his feet in the end. And the heavyweight prospect from Nigeria, Efia Jagba, now 12-0. and But it wasn't smooth sailing. A KO for him in five rounds against Iago Kiladze, now 26-5 and five with a draw. Former opponent of Joe Joyce, former opponent of Michael Hunter. Both men stopped him. Um, Jagba was down, though, himself in round three. He had Kiladze in all sorts of trouble. He had him down in the second round. And in this third round, he was out on his feet, Kiladze. He could barely stand up. But Jagba went in for the kill, and then Kiladze threw the counter punch and caught him with a with a hook, put him down, and um, it was a it was a complete and utter shock. I couldn't believe it. First time in a Jagba's pro career he's been down, and um, people are starting to obviously get on that bandwagon now. What's his chin like and all the rest of that? Other than that, a Jagba did well. You know, he he obviously. Um, you know, got through the round and stuff, and in round five, Kiladzi's corner through the towel in. So another another stoppage win for a Jagba, but obviously a lot to learn still before he really moves up. And um, the final card to mention, it happened at the arena. That's all it's called. It's called the arena in Yokohama, Kanagawa, Japan. Of course, this one happened Monday, the twenty third of December. Um, Ryota Morata now 16-2, and two, a TKO for him in five rounds against Stephen Butler, who we've seen before. Um, I can't remember who Butler faced now, was it? can't remember who he faced. He, he's, he, he's got his loss to him. Um, now 28-2 and two with a draw. That one was, of course, for Morata's WBA World Middleweight title, a TKO for him in five. And... Uh, Mariti Mfanle, I think that's how he said, could be saying it really wrong. He's the um, the IBF World Flyweight Champion. He was able to defend his title with a TKO in nine rounds against Akira Yagashi, now 28-7. and seven. Um, Mfanle, or whatever his name is, I know he's a South African fighter, very, very old. I think he's... Uh, could even be in his 40s. He's one of the oldest. He is probably the oldest world champion, actually, in boxing. So credit to him. He was going to fight Charlie Edwards at one point. Didn't end up happening. Also on the bill, Chocolatito, Roman Gonzalez, now 48-2. and two. That was his 50th fight. It was, a bit of a, it was a bit of an easy touch. A TKO for him in two rounds against DML Diakos, who's now 14-6 and six with three draws. But that was everything from last week. That was the review part. It's now time to welcome our first and only guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC and IBF welterweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Andre Berto. Andre, welcome to the show. How you doing, my man? How you doing? Very good, my friend. Even better now I'm speaking with you. So, Andre, it's the first time we've had you on the show. I want to start really with just a typical opener. Um, what got you into boxing? I think I, I think I know the story, but just for those that don't know, let let us know. Uh, you know, my father was a was a fighter. He was an overall, uh, you know, fighter when it comes to the mixed martial arts and 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 uh, you had a few different disciplines. But I was a uh, I was a uh, young young kid with a lot of energy uh, um, that used to get me in trouble a lot. Um, so so he used to just start taking me to the gym with him at an early age. Uh, um, you know, if it was boxing, if it was if it was grappling, if it was taekwondo, whatever he was doing, um, you know, his long runs. And, um, you know, when it came to boxing, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. Uh, um, one of my first days at the gym, you know, they put me in there with a kid that, that uh, you know, it just didn't look like he was anything, and you know, he put his hands on me, 
And uh, and I was just surprised on how how technical he was um, to beat me up. And I was uh and I was a rough kid. I was a rough kid growing up, man. So I just didn't I didn't see it coming, and it just fascinated me. And I wanted just to figure it out. I wanted to learn it. And 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 you know I come from a family of fighters. I'm from a family of fighters, and mostly everybody has. I mean, I mean, they've been into the martial arts, and you know, I just wanted to do something different. And I wanted to go into the fight game, and then I wanted to do the whole boxing thing. I I loved it. I love watching fights with my family. Um, you know, all the big fights back in the day: the Sugar Ray Leonard's, the Marvin Hagler's, the Mike Tyson's, and and um, you know, it's went from there. It certainly did, and uh, you know, obviously, you you had a good amateur career, making it to the Olympics and stuff like that. But getting on to your pro career, sure. you turned pro um, in, yeah. in in December. I think it was December the fourth, two thousand and four. Um, I want to revisit yeah. some of your biggest nights in boxing. So forgive me for rushing past some of the early wins, but um, like I say, you're more oh, than okay. you're more than welcome to interrupt me at any point to uh, to say something about a fight I may have skipped, but. If I skip forward to February the 9th, 2008. Now, at this point, you're 20-0 and with 17 KOs. You're in California, an eliminator for the WBC welterweight world title. Um, your opponent, Michael Trabant. Trabant was a really good fighter. I mean, he oh. may not have been a massive name in the States, Andre, but a very good fighter. Um, you know, he went on to have 57 fights before retiring in 2014, but he was only ever stopped one time. Wow. It was you that stopped him. Talk me through that fight, obviously being an eliminator for, uh, the, for the world title back then. Well, I didn't know too much about him back then. I was just um, I was a young, hungry kid, man, that was just focused on uh, trying to win that world title. I didn't care who I was, I was in front of. And, um, you know, I knew the kid was from um, from out of the country. I knew he was tough, but, um, you know, but I was on a mission. And, um, and you know, from the first bell on, I came straight to him. And I just um, and I just imposed my will on him and imposed my speed and my power. And um, and I just wanted to just get him out of there, and I did. Yeah, he certainly did. He retired on his store after six rounds. Like I say, no one ever, ever, ever did that to him at any point in his whole entire career. Uh, and then, of course, you got your shot at the vacant WBC world title. Miguel Rodriguez in Tennessee. I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but again, Rodriguez retired in 2009. 33 fights as a professional. Only been stopped once in his whole career. You were the man to break the record again. Uh, a KO in round seven. Wow. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow! I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But that was a great, um, that was a great night for me, man. Um, to be able to win my first world title in Memphis, Tennessee, I still remember it clearly. And um, I think that's just uh, that's just um, you know, a moment that every young boxer dreams about is to um, you know, get in this, you know, get into this game and win a, a world championship. And 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 it was great because my first world title was a WBC title. And um, and for some reason, that's that's that. That's that title that all of us young guys want to make sure to bring home. That's the money. That's the money belt. <laughs> and I like to ask this question, mm-hmm. Andre, to every every world champion I speak to. I like to say, try and put it in words for me. What it felt like to become a world champion for the first time. I like to I like to hear the responses because a lot of people uh, say a lot of different things. It's actually uh, it's quite comical sometimes. Yeah. They they're just trying to explain it to a normal guy like <laughs> me who will never win a world title. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, I mean, it's just surreal, man. It's um, um, it's it's almost just replaying that, you know, just me being that kid watching, you know, the Sugar Ray Leonard's, the Marvin Hagler's, the De La Hoya's, the Mike Tyson's, and and being in that position to to be on HBO at the time and and 
winning your world title and and uh uh and just knowing this just all all eyes on you and you're able to achieve that that uh uh i mean that landmark that you've always seen all these legends you know accomplish and i just broke down of course you break down in tears man you just can't believe it and um you know i'm gonna cloud i'm gonna cloud nine for a long time a long long time <laughs> And like I say, when you became WB, WBC World Champion, you embarked on one hell of a run. I mean, you took tough fight after tough fight. I sometimes think perhaps people have forgotten the kind of opposition you were running towards as soon as you became champion. Yeah. I mean, even your first defense, you boxed, obviously, the former IBF World Champion Steve Forbes. Steve's a tough, tough guy. Yeah. Um, he, he actually brought your yeah. KO streak to an end. You beat him unanimously. Yeah. And that was the first time you ever went 12 rounds, unbelievably. Tell us about that one. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, you know what, you know, in that fight, I was in, I was, uh, I was trying to push myself actually because I know Steve Forbes, he fought De La Hoya the night before. I mean, his his fight before, yes. so that definitely uh, uh, it gave me a lot of motivation to to, uh, to try to keep my knockout streak going to to try to knock out a guy that De La Hoya, you know, didn't know or just or just could knock out. Um, you know, with Stevie Forbes, it's like you know, I mean, he's a tough customer. Um, you know, he's been in the game for a long time. He's definitely a crafty veteran. Um, and he's just not one of those guys that you can just take out like that. But uh learned a lot. Um, and, and he's had a lot of experience from it. It was a great win on my belt. And again, your very next fight, you're in there with former world champion Louis Colazzo. Colazzo pretty much can give anyone a tough night, and it was a rocky start to yep. the fight from your point of view, but ultimately, you carved out another 12-round unanimous decision. Talk us through that one, what you can remember of it, Andre. Yep. Tough fight, man. Tough fight. Um, um, you know, you know, tough softball. And uh, yeah, I mean, Louis just came to fight. Louis came to fight. I thank God that I was in, uh, you know, great shape. And um, you know, he didn't care what people were saying about me. He didn't care, you know, you know how much hype I had. You know, he came to, and he came to get it. And I respect him for it. And, and we fought a hell of a fight that night. It really was, and even to this day, he still doesn't really care much about who he fights. He's still causing prospects problems time and time again. Um, again, Andre. Again, Andre. After that, I mean, you box another former world champion, um, this time in the shape of Juan Urango. Um, you you yeah. didn't really have any problems though getting getting uh, getting by him really in that fight. It seemed like he no, still no, didn't really no. trouble I yours. Mean, yeah, no, he came in. He just. Uh, we knew he was just a rough, tuggy. I mean, like rough, rugged guy. And I was the, and I was the kid that always, uh, you know, everybody knew that can just, um, you know, go in there and just bang it out, just knock these guys out. And um, and I just wanted just to switch up the game plan a little bit. We boxed, we boxed them all night. And every time he got close, you know, we clinched them up and just, um, and just took about his element. And it ended up being a pretty easy, a pretty easy night for us. And again, after that fight, the fight that never happened. We were we were close to getting to see yourself yeah. and Sugar Shane Mosley dance under the bright lights and unify, yeah. but um, it wasn't to be. You were forced to pull out just days before the fight. Was it? Was it? It was quite a bizarre circumstance. Yeah. Was it a family member passing away due to an earthquake, Andre? Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of different family members. It was um, it was during the earthquake in Haiti. I lost, I think eight, probably maybe eight to nine family members. Oh my God. Um, and then, when I was actually, I'm in camp. I'm still trying to get through. I'm still trying to get through, man. But, uh, you know, everybody knows, you know, the earthquake in Haiti was pretty tragic. 
um, you know, and I'm and I'm a big figure there as well. So, I mean, just you know, I, it was just hard for me to get through camp just every day, every other day. You know, hearing that we found another family member that passed away, uh, or they found dead, or or if it were kids, um, I mean, they were like schools that are sponsored with tons of kids, and you know, lost a lot of those kids as well. You know, when it came to the uh, you know, occurring to the earthquake as well, so it was kind of hard for us to uh, try to keep things together. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, that sounds that sounds absolutely horrific. Um... How do you think that fight would have would have unfolded like um, Andre? Should it have actually happened back back in 2010? Man, it would. I believe it would have been a great fight, man. Me and Shane, uh, you know, actually, me and Shane, you know, we still talk about it now. You know, we're pretty good friends now. We still joke around about it now. Um, you know, it definitely would have been a hell of a fight. You know, you're talking about a you know a legend that was fast, that was strong, and you're dealing with a you know, me being a young champion, young, fast, strong as well. And, um, you know, Shane Moses is one of those guys I've always looked up to as well, just with his style in general. So it would have definitely been a, uh, you know, hell of a fight. Yeah, it's a shame we never got to see that one, obviously. that that I think the style yeah, clash would have been absolutely unbelievable. Um, obviously, Shane yeah, Shane went on to box Floyd in, in, in May of that year. You went on to box another tough fighter, Carlos Quintana. Um, a tricky task yep. there. It obviously happened in Florida, back home. <laughs> but you did get the KO, though, in uh, in round eight. Yeah, 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 man. Um, you know, Carlos Quintana at the time, he was a tough, tough, tough customer for anybody. Uh, you know, um, at the time, you know, Paul Williams, Paul Williams was, uh, was the, uh, was the boogeyman of the division. And, uh, you know, he gave Paul Williams a hell of a fight. I believe he beat Paul, I think. I think, I think he beat Paul Williams at the time. So, uh, you know, like I said, he was one of those guys that nobody wanted to fight. You know, he was tough. Um, and, 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 he always came in shape, and, and, and he was going to make a rough night, you know, for anybody. So, you know, I wanted to take on the task, and, uh, and I did something that that I don't I don't think at the time anybody was able to do, and that was, uh, you know, I was stopping. Yeah, I mean, the pair, I believe, had, I think they had two fights, him and Paul. I think um, I think he won the first one, but then Paul avenged it with a first-round yeah. TKO, yeah. if uh-huh. I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, another tough fight. Um, then, you know, you, you I don't want to I don't want to disrespect anyone here, but you, you took a lower-level opponent, Freddie Hernandez. You, you stopped him in a round. You become the yeah. first man, by the way, to stop yeah. him as well. But then... It comes wow. the comes the crazy fight, April sixteenth, twenty eleven, the Foxwoods Resort in Connecticut. Yeah. Victor Ortiz. Yes, what sir. a crazy, crazy <laughs> fight. Talk me through that one. <laughs> crazy, crazy fight. I was in a space of uh you know, it was it was it was me being a young young, naive undisciplined champion at the time. You know, I was running through a lot of these guys, uh, and I definitely wanted uh and and it was big talks at the time of uh of me and Floyd. You know, me and Floyd fighting at the time and uh and uh I thought I was gonna be fighting him next and Floyd, you know, he threw he threw a spin ball on my way and said, No, he has to fight Victor Ortiz first. I didn't know who Victor Ortiz was. Oh. 
I didn't care who Victor Ortiz was. I was just upset because I wanted this. I wanted this fight with Floyd. I felt I deserved it, and uh, I didn't take you know Victor Ortiz serious like I should have. Um, I looked past him. I didn't train like I should have. I felt like you know I was on that young young champion. You know I was on that young cocky champion high, and uh, you know and I. I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and I walked in that ring again. And Big Ortiz, he was ripped and ready. You know, and uh, you know, I believe that he. I mean, like they say, he was in the best shape of his life. And uh, you know, it turned it turned into a fight that I I didn't ever expect. And uh, you know, everybody seen what happened. And still now, I mean, still now, I mean, it was a tremendously exciting fight. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, it definitely hit me a different way, of course, because I, it was my first loss, and it was, it was tough for me to take. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this interview has, has seen the fight. I'm sh- I mean, you have to have seen that fight. Obviously, Andre was down in the first round. Ortiz was down in the second round. Both men were down in round six. Um, Ortiz had a point took yep. off late. It was it was a completely crazy fight. But um. How were you left feeling after that, after that, Andre? Because you know, obviously, you mentioned there that the Mayweather fight was in was in your grasp almost, and then you had to get through Ortiz yeah. first, and then obviously losing your own and losing out for a while um, on that Mayweather fight was that was that a difficult position you were left in? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you know, I was a I was a young hungry champion, and I just know what I wanted, and I felt like things didn't come like I wanted to because of that one fight. And, and I was I was I was in a place of of you know I knew I knew knew how I highly anticipated every one of my fights were, and from that loss, I really felt like felt like the world came crashing down on me. So that I was just so embarrassed, and I felt that everybody in the world just watched that fight and seen me lose. I was walking through the airport with, you know, with my hoodie on. I locked myself in the house for weeks. I actually left. I actually left and went to, I flew out the country and went to Bali for like a month just so I could get away from all the noise. It was just in the, all the newspapers. It was everywhere. And it, and it just, and it just, it killed me, man. So I just had to get away from everything just so I could get a, uh, you know, peace of mind. And, uh, you know, trying to get myself back together. And you know, five months later, you're 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 back in the history books. This time, Mississippi against the IBF world champion Jan Zavek. I mean, you dethrone him again. You become the first man to stop him again. I keep saying this. Uh, what was it like though to become <laughs> to become a world champion for the uh-huh. second time, Andre? Oh man, it felt great. It felt amazing um, being able to get back, being able to get back to where I left. Um, you know, but to be honest, just, you know, mentally, I feel was all the way back like I needed to be, I believe. So, but, um, you know, but like I said, it was a lot of, a lot of hard work, um, a lot of effort just to get back to where I, where I needed to be, and that's to be the world champion. And I was happy, I was excited, and, and, and you know, uh, I'm always just ready just to keep it pushing. And, you know, you... 
you, there was a few things that happened outside of the ring. It kept you out of the ring for 14 months. You returned though against Robert Guerrero. Um, this again was yep. a bit of a, a bit of a shock. You were down in the first and second round. The winner would end up fighting Mayweather, but once again, it didn't go to plan for you. You lost unanimously over 12. Probably Robert Guerrero's best performance of his whole life that night, even now. Um, <laughs> but but just tell us yeah. just tell us about it from your point of view. There another time where you seem like the Mayweather fight just wasn't ever going to happen. Wasn't meant to be. Man, no, yeah, it wasn't, man. I was, uh, I mean, I was in a place as well. I mean, um, you know, a lot of these guys say like the Ortiz, uh, the Guerrero, the Carrasas. I mean, a lot of these guys, they, they, uh, you know, with a guy like me, we had so much of, of, uh, you know, I've always had big eyes on me every time I perform. You know, even though if I had a you know bad night, off night, whatever the case may be, but the fact that these guys, you know, for them to come in and try to put on their best best performances that they can, of course, made everything look bigger for them on their side. Um, you know, but like I said, uh, uh, you know, with that fight as well, I was still, yeah, I mean, just honestly, I was just still dealing with, you know, the mental situation of taking my first loss. I believe that's one thing that a lot of people need to understand as well. Like when you're an athlete um, and you have that invincible, that invincible confidence and that gets, and that gets shattered to a point or that gets broken to a point, you know, it's most of the time it's the most confident, the most dominant ones. It's hard. It's hard to get back or they can't get back at all. You know, we've seen it in mixed martial arts with Ronda Rousey. We've seen it with a lot of other, you know, great fighters that that it's hard for them to climb back up or hard for them to get their groove back once that um once once that invincible spirit is broken. So I think it took me some time to get back up because for somebody to feel like Superman and 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 to feel like oh man, like you know. I may have a weakness now. I took my first loss, but you start second guessing yourself. You start, you know, you start going through a lot of these different things mentally in your mind that are, uh, you know, I mean, it tends to affect your performance as an athlete. And I believe all great athletes they can, uh, you know, that's taken a loss or 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 have taken or have suffered an injury can attest to what I'm saying. So so within that whole spill of Ortiz, Guerrero's, the crosses. I'm, I'm still trying to get my, trying to build my confidence back to a sense, um, you know, and and I believe after, after a few of those fights, I really just had to dig deeper within myself, and just to remind myself of, of who I was, and to, um, and to buckle down and, and grab hold of that confidence again, and just continue to push forward. Yeah, I mean, I've said it time and time again on the show. I'm sure it's something you will agree with as well that, you know, your first loss, especially in in combat sports, it simply either makes you or breaks you. Um, you know, oh, definitely. Yeah, sure. yeah. And like I say, yeah, you were sure. out of the ring for eight months before then, boxing Jesus Soto Carras. Uh, the fight was a super close fight right up until the last rounds. Obviously, yeah. you dropped him in the 11th, but then he was able to, to score yeah. the, 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 the TKO in round 12. And Yeah, you know, I mean, sorry, go on. I mean, same thing in the Carras fight. I mean, um, in every one of my losses, you know, everybody has you know, also seen that, uh, 
you know, my will, my will, my willingness to never, ever, ever, ever give up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, how the fight looks. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling at the time. I don't know what give up means. So even with the cross fight, you know, I tore my shoulder like in the second or third round. But, uh, you know, went on to, 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 to try to make it happen and to, uh, and to, uh, and to drop him. In the eleventh, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, dropping yeah. in eleventh with with one arm and try try my best to try to finish the job, but of course I got caught up in the mix. And Andre, did you ever experience a time in your career? You know, you'd 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 taken a couple of unexpected losses. Did you ever ha- have an experience where you know people close to you? were jumping off the bandwagon, you know, people were doubting you, and perhaps if you've had any experiences of what it's like to, to lose people that you thought were there for you in the in the, in the highs and the lows, but they just weren't when it comes to the lows. Of course, of course, I think that's the, uh, I mean, I think that's just, that's just the game in general, um, you know, but I've been blessed to, 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 uh, to compete at this high level for 15, I think 15, 16 years now, um, and of course, within the midst of you're going to get people that 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 enjoy that enjoy the celebration of the wins and enjoy the parade of of being next to you know the the undefeated champion and and just enjoying everything else. And once once things go to slowing down or things go to change, you know, or whatever the case may be, you know, I mean the the conversations are different. The 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 uh, you know the entourage, the entourage uh, you know kind of dies down, um, you know. But after that, after that, you know, once you get through that first stage, you know, it's all about the respect factor. From there, you know, I mean, I've I've been a I've been the type of guy that I've always got a lot of respect, um, you know, in and out the ring, um, you know, well, I, and I, you know, I've always tried to stay solid. I've never been, you know, so so shallow of a of a fighter to just just be up or just feel like I'm great just because of of my wins or my knockouts. I mean everybody that's followed me, they know that I've always been a solid guy, you know, in and out of the ring. So it's always you know, so I've always kept a strong a strong fan base and and a strong uh um uh, you know group of friends because of that. And again, you know, you then stayed out the ring for another 14 months before returning with a win over Steve yeah. Upshaw on points. Then, of course, you stop Jose Cito Lopez yeah. in a fight in which you were behind on the scorecards. But then you finally do land the Floyd Mayweather fight. September 12, 2015, um, you weren't able to, to, to beat the self-proclaimed TBE. But talk us through it. Was he the best of this era as well, in your opinion, Andre? Um, I mean, of course, on this track record, I'm from the track record. You can't say that. Um, me fighting him, I, me fighting him, I just expected a lot more. Of course, you know, I trained like a like an animal for that fight. Uh, you know, going into my going into that fight, my confidence was up. Um, you know, to a, I mean, to a thousand. Um, but of course, you understand something at the same time. You know, Floyd is a guy that that. Um, now he's already built um, a tremendous career. He's already built a tremendous legacy. You know, he doesn't have to, 
he doesn't have to try to lay it all out in that ring anymore. I believe that he's established himself in a way that when it comes to judges, when it comes to just the eye of the public, when it comes to just whatever the case may be, they understand who he is and he knows how to command his authority in the ring without without doing much. You know what I mean? That's what that's what I kinda seen by being in there with Floyd that um you know, I mean I mean I mean some rounds I felt like I didn't hit him and he didn't hit me. I, you know, he just you know, Floyd just does enough right now. I can just say with me and just right now within that fight. He just does enough to win. You know, he does enough to get out of each round um, without any punishment, if any. And, and and he's very precise with everything he does. You know, if it's time, if it's time management, if it's if it's him, uh, uh, um, you know, somewhat showing his, you know, his ring generalship and just showing his dominance within the ring. You know, he's going to do that without hitting you. That's one thing about it. a lot of people don't realize. Floyd is a is a guy. He's a master at slowing down the pace. You know, first off, so any of these guys that you see, the Pacquiao's, the Canelo's, all these guys that have very high, high paced fights. You know, like Floyd is a master at slowing it down. You know, he can slow it down and realistically be in front of you, looking like, you know, he's being dominant, but he's. You know, but he's a master of stalling. He can star you. He can star you. He can star you. Really make it look like he's going to punch you or he's doing this or he's doing that. But he's just stalling for time and he'll walk off you. He, like, all the way around, he's just a mastermind within that square circle. It's my first time being in there with somebody that I seen that was that comfortable in the ring with every step that he's, I mean, every step in the in the ring you just tell how comfortable his feet were moving in on every ounce of that ring. Um, he knew everything was at. Um, he knew every square footage of the ring. Um, if it was if it was punches thrown, knowing how to slip. Uh, he always knew where the judges were at, where he can turn around the judge, or just go behind the judge on certain situations. He'll grab you. He'll take deep breaths in your ear. Uh, you know, he takes time to look up at the clock to try to manage his time. Um, he's very, very calculated and precise in the ring. Just enough. He can do just enough to win that round and get out, and he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. It almost makes you're tired as a fighter because he really takes his time. And as a fighter, I mean, us just want to fight. just want to fight. You think offensive. I just want to fight. I want to fight. But he, he has a completely different agenda, <laughs> completely different agenda. And that can almost kind of, I mean, that, and that can almost just throw you all the way off your game. And again, you know, he, he, I mean, that was, I remember, I remember staying up real late to watch that one. Um, it just it Mayweather was just uh, you know a step ahead unfortunately on that night for you but you returned you returned to the ring April uh, the following year we finally did get the Victor Ortiz rematch I mean the first one was crazy the second one was also absolutely bonkers as well um, we had to wait five years for the rematch but 
you know, you, you you were down in the second round. You got back up though and dropped Ortiz twice in the fourth round where the KO came. Um, you managed to get your revenge in the end on him. Obviously, he caused the shock in the first fight. How did it feel to kind of you know get that revenge? <laughs> I'm so great. It's so exhilarating, man. I mean, I was, uh, I feel like that was the loss that was hanging over my head, and I believe that was the loss that kind of, uh, you know, started a string of a lot of difficulties, um, you know, mentally. Um, you know, and so for me, coming out in Floyd's fight, just, uh, you know, all the confidence from that fight, just because I was going through that adrenaline rush of that circus and just coming into this, uh, into Ortiz fight and finish it like I did, uh, you know, I felt great. I, you know, I was a little upset because I felt like that should happen the first time. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, like I said, we got the job done, and still now it's probably one of, one of my most satisfying wins of my career. <laughs> I thought you'd say that, and um, you know, coming down to the last, the last, the last couple of fights really of your career, obviously. Um, you know, the, the Sean Porter fight came next, April 2017. Again, I remember staying up late to watch it, but unfortunately, um, you were just unable really to overcome Sean Porter on that occasion. He got the stoppage in round nine. It was a very, very tough fight, though, if I remember correctly. Tell us about it. He's, he's, he's such a pressure yeah. fighter. He almost brings pressure fight into another level, Sean Porter. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. I was, you know, that was, uh, I was just, um, it was just, Completely rugged fight. Um, it was just a fight I just wasn't satisfied with at all. I mean, of course, we know that he's going to come in, um, you know, with a lot of pressure and a lot of this and a lot of that. But, a lot of forehead. But, um, yeah, I took a lot of headbutts, took a lot of forearms, took a lot of elbows. It was just one of those type of fights that kind of gets, you know, just gets you off for your game, especially if the referee isn't doing anything to, you know, do anything about it. So, um, you know, like even up until they stopped it, you know, I got hit with a really bad headbutt, um, you know, that shook me up, and it was hard for me just to recover from that. And then, of course, your last fight that you've had, um, again, you took quite a lengthy spell out the ring, but, you know, after the uh, after the Porter lost, 16 months, I believe it was, before returning against another former world champion, Devin Alexander. Obviously, you were down in the third round, but you were able to carve out a split decision victory over 12. Not everyone, though, was in agreement with the decision on the night, but obviously, they're not the judges. Talk to me about that one, Andre. Yeah, man, I mean, that was a great fight. I mean, uh... I took a lot of time off and, uh, you know, came back, you know, came back and, you know, me and Devin, you know, we were supposed to do that, um, I believe like two, three years before, but, but, uh, you know, we couldn't make the fight happen and, you know, we finally did. And, 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 and it was, um, you know, it was a, it was a close fight, you know, close fight. I came to fight, he came to fight and both of us knew we had a lot on the line. So, um, yeah, I definitely, uh, was in great shape and I was able to edge him out towards the end. And Andre, obviously you haven't boxed since then, but as far as I'm aware, you haven't hung the gloves up either. Um, what is next on the radar for yourself? Um, we're not sure yet. Um, you know, we'll see. I took some time off. I was supposed to be fighting in August, actually. Uh, you know, but I was in uh, the week before the fight. You know, I tore my bicep, so I had to have surgery oh, um, to to reattach it. So I had to go through rehab and had to go through a lot of different things. So, um, you know, but it looks like I'm good, and I feel great. Um, you know, so we're going to see what the top of the year brings. And, 
is anything else going on outside of the ring for you in terms of, you know, you're getting to that stage in your career now where I feel like the, I think you even said it yourself, you know, you're, you you won the big fights, the, the big paydays. Have you got anything that going on in terms of, I don't know, business-wise outside of the ring that's keeping you busy in the time that you're not fighting? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely staying busy outside the ring. We definitely have some big announcements coming in 2020. Okay. So we want to keep everybody uh, abrupt at that when it comes to things outside the ring as well. Okay, and I want to ask you, who was the hardest puncher that you was ever in the ring with, Andre? No, you know what? I tell people this all the time, and I don't know if people remember this fight, um, but one of my earlier fights on HBO, it was um, a kid named David Estrada. Yes. David yes, Estrada, yes. me and him went to war for like 11 rounds. I think I knocked him out in the 11th. But he's still, he's still probably the hardest puncher, um, one of the hardest punches that I was in the ring with. Niggas came at me relentless all night. And that was the first time I, I took that type of punishment. Even though I came out with a win, took that type of punishment and Went back in the dressing room and I pissed and pissed blood the first time ever. <laughs> Beat my kidneys up. Yeah, he was a yeah, he was a mean guy. Yeah, again, that was I, I started on the uh, the Trebant fight and I, I actually missed that one out. So my apologies, but yeah, it's good to know that. Um, obviously, you must have done some serious serious sparring with all kinds of names over the years. Who would you say is the best fighter that you ever sparred? Best fighter that I've ever sparred. Um, I've probably I've uh, I could probably say Winky Wright. I used to go at. I mean, I've sparred everybody, of course. Me and Andre Ward would go a lot around. We, um, uh, man, everybody's Ike Corte, uh, Jeff Lacey, uh, Sean B. Mitchell. But I think one of the guys that just sticks out, um, in my mind that I've sparred, maybe, maybe hundreds around with. You know, probably be Winky Wright. Yeah, of course. Winky Wright, and probably anybody, probably anybody that can better tell you that's ever spar with him. He, I mean, he, he's just hard to hit. I mean, he just keeps that tight guard up, and he, and he comes off that block nice, and he just, and he works, man. Like he's tremendous. He's a tremendous. He's a tremendous fighter. So I help him get ready for both the Shane Mosley fights at the time. Yeah, and of course he. He was able to beat him in both of those. Um, and are you happy with? And obviously, you you haven't you haven't hung up the gloves yet, so I don't want to I want to be careful the way I ask this question. But are you happy with the way things have turned out thus far in your career? Are you a happy man after all the achievements? Yeah, I mean, I have to be. I mean, I'm the type of guy that um, you know comes from nothing. So uh, to be able to you know come from a small town, my parents being you know Haitian immigrants. Uh, to be able to be the hottest young fighter in boxing at the time, and and and, and uh, you know to be able to be in that small percent percentile of making millions of dollars, and 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 to and and to be able to fight on the biggest stage you know possible, you know when they see that book, you know my book is always going to be a lot of up and down challenges that they're going to be able to read, and it's going to continue being exciting. Um, that the fact that Nick always said he's never gave up and always came and just laid it all out on the ring, you know, win or lose. Yeah, you certainly have done that, my friend. And my final question, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit at the very end here, Andre. Um, who comes to mind, I have to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from all over the world, who comes to mind when I ask you 
Who's your favourite UK fighter? Any era. <laughs> Any era. Any era, baby. <laughs> I gotta say, I gotta say, Prince. Oh yeah, everyone says that. That's the most popular answer. <laughs> I got. Yeah, I gotta say, Prince. I thought you might Prince, say. I Prince thought you did. might say Amir Khan. <laughs> ah, no, Amir's my boy. No, Amir's my boy. But I gotta say, Prince, because he. I mean, still now. I mean, I used to. I mean, still just haven't seen anybody doing like Prince, and and uh, and most of the time. I mean, ninety-eight percent of the time, you see a lot of UK guys. You know, they envy. They envy us American fighters. They envy this and envy a lot of things that we do over here or who we are over here. I can say around that time, a lot. All of us, Floyd's the. Uh, you know, uh, whoever it was Roy, jo- everybody, they all envied Prince. Prince knows them how he did it, how he, you know, how he was was just the way that he was entertained and he finished the show. Um, yeah, everybody, everybody envied that guy at the time for sure. <laughs> and just finally, Andre, if you've got any closing words, just to the the people that listen to this interview, obviously we've got listeners all over the place, but primarily the UK fans yeah. that have supported you throughout your career, if you've got a word or a sentence just to say um, in support of those guys. Yeah, man, I, you guys have supported me for a long time. I appreciate it. I thank you. We have big things coming up in 2020 and in outside the ring, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, like I say, we, we will look out for those announcements there, Andre. We certainly look forward to them. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to go back in my uh, my my infamous virtual time machine with you and to revisit some of the biggest nights of your career. Thanks so much for your time. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. God bless you, and we'll speak soon. Thank you, my man. You too. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Let's go to you, Ayers, with the latest news. Give it to me. Yes, uh, Kell Brook will return to the ring on February the 8th in Sheffield, where he will be, where he'll be trained by, guided by Dominic Ingle, and will fight uh, Mark DeLuca. Yeah, he's back in the Ingle gym. Um, that's a good thing, obviously. Um, you know, he didn't look good in that fight against Zarafa. He takes on Mark DeLuca, 24-1. A lot of people criticising this. Um, you know, he's got the one loss to Walter Wright, but he did avenge it. So, in in fairness to him, you know, he's beaten everyone he's faced. But, you know, I'm hearing decent things. He's known as the bazooka Mark DeLuca, but I'm hearing decent things. He's a southpaw. You know, he's a, he's a true 154 fighter. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, because based on what we saw in that Zarafa fight, I don't think it's going to be easy for Kelbrook. I know that that's a very unpopular opinion because people are not seeing the fights that we wanted to see. You know, we, we hoped that Amir Khan um, and Kelbrook would finally get it on. It's not to be. It's now this guy here who a lot of people hadn't heard of. They've they've gone and started Googling him and stuff like that. But um, what I'm hearing, he's actually a decent fighter. So could be interesting. So I'm not going to get... I'm probably not going to get liked too much from my comments here. But I'm not going to hate on it too much, to be fair. Um, all the best to Brooke. And finally, the last news is that uh, Caleb Plant will face Vincent Feigenbutz for the IBF Super Middleweight title in, fe- in February the 15th at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Yeah, Caleb Plant, obviously, um, probably one of the most underrated fighters, really, at Super Middleweight. You know, we talk all about Callum Smith and um, 
you know, Eubank and all these other guys, you know, John Ryder, fair, fair, fair to John Ryder as well. He's definitely not overrated. And I'm not saying the others are, but, um, you know, we've got a big scene at super middleweight here in Britain and people like Caleb Plant, you know, also Billy Joe Saunders, of course, but people like Caleb Plant, I don't feel get the credit that he deserves. I think Caleb Plant on his night could be any of the champions at, at 168. I really do. So, um, Again, it's it's probably going to be an easy win for him. I think he wins it quite easy. I think Feigenbutz is even perhaps made for his style. But we shall see. You know, we shall see. All the best to Caleb Plant. Obviously, he's got a he's got a very um, very deep and quite disturbing and sad story. And um, I just wish him all the best because he's been he's been through it outside of the ring. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yep, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Let's start now with. The preview part of the show, this one takes place on Friday the 27th here, um, and that, that takes place in the Guildhaus in Niedersachsen, Germany. You've guessed it. Who is it, though? Prince Patel, 21-1 and with a draw. Six-round contest against Ilgvars Krauklis, who's 1-5. and Big up, Prince Patel. Moving out now to the Palais des Sports in Marseille, France. One fight to mention over here. It's for the WBA Super World Cruiserweight title. Arsene Goulamerian. I think I talked about him when I was out in New Jersey with Eddie Chambers. I think I said... I think I said it. It could, it could be wrong, but I think he won the title there. And I was saying to Eddie, you know, guys like this, this French guy, he's just snuck himself into the place of, of, of a world champion pretty much. Got his shot and won. I think it was vacant. I don't think he beat a champion for it. And I was saying, you know, these kind of fighters and stuff, these kind of fights, doesn't it kind of, you know, give you that urge, you know? And he said, yeah. But anyway, he takes on Konstantin Bejanaru, who, again, I haven't heard of. 14-0, undefeated. I don't know where they're plucking these guys from, but it is for the WBA super title at Cruiserweight. So very interesting. I want to see these guys take on the likes of your, um, you know, your your Cruiserweights that we've seen in the World Boxing Super Series. See how these guys, Gula Mirian gets on with a, uh, uh, not a Gassiev, because obviously he's he's moving up to heavyweight at some point. We don't know when it's going to be, but against like a Bradis, against a... Uh, a um, Mike Perez, those types of guys. I'd like to see those fights happen. Uh, moving out now to the final bill to mention. It takes place at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Let's start with the undercard. Jose Uzcategui, 29 and... Or Uzcategui, I think his name said. 29 and 3, obviously. Um, former IBF world champion. Dethroned by Caleb Plant, who we were just talking about. Um, his record, like I say, 29 and 3. He's in a 10-rounder against Lionel Thompson, 21 and 5. Javante Davis returns to the to the ring. Twenty two and zero. He fights for the vacant WBA World Lightweight title. It's his chance there to become a. Um, is that a two weight three time world champion? I think he'll be still a young guy. Javante Davis. He takes on Uriokis Gamboa, a guy that had a hell of a lot of promise when he turned pro. Um, I, I don't think he's really lived up to the expectations. But Uriokis Gamboa, there's something in his eye. I think he is really taking this fight serious. I think we're gonna we're gonna see the best he can really offer at this stage in his career. But you definitely have to say Javante probably wins and wins inside the distance. That freakish power that he possesses. And the main event, um, Jean Pascal, 34-6 and six with a draw. Quite surprised that we didn't get to see the Marcus Brown rematch straight away. I think Marcus Brown, um, 
I think he, I think he, I think it was a voluntary defence. But for whatever reason, Marcus Brown must have not put a rematch clause in there. And um, Jean Pascal defends here against former holder of the belt, um, Badu Jack. So Jean Pascal thirty-four and six with a draw. Badu Jack twenty-two and two with three draws for the WBC silver and the WBA World Light Heavyweight titles. So um, Badu Jack gets a chance to win his belt back and. Uh, yeah, if that were to happen, I guess he'll probably go for the Marcus Brown rematch, knowing him. Obviously, that was the fight where we saw the, the horrific, horrific cut. But that is it, though, for the preview part. We've whizzed for it quite quickly. It's been a long time since we've only had one guest on the show, so I apologize if that's not um, that's, that's, that's not good enough. Um, you know, we try and get two guests on every single show, but sometimes we, we have to just put one on, because I don't want the show to go on too long. I think a lot of people are going to be quite busy over Christmas with the family and stuff like that. A lot of other podcasts decide to take weeks off. We don't do that, but just the one guest on this week's show, and it will be the one guest on the, the uh, on next week's show as well. So uh, hope that you enjoy all the interviews. Of course, I hope that you had a fantastic Christmas, because now, um, by the time this goes out, it will be Boxing Day, so uh, Christmas would have came, and uh, this is, of course, the last the last time we'll speak myself and I as before um, the last time we get to speak to you before the new year comes so everyone we wish you all uh, a very very happy new year a very very happy 2020 um, I as I would have got you to sing but um, I I'm gonna be nice this year as unless you want to drop a do you want to drop a Christmas cracker do you want do you want to treat the listeners or not Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Okay, we'll let you off with that one. We'll let you off with that one. We shall let you off with that one. But that is it. So, like I say, Happy New Year to everyone from myself and I as we shall see you all again this time next week. Thank you very much.